What's always lagged is the human teamwork around exponential technology. And I said, you know, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to create a exponential teamwork concept. Listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to the 69th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Dan Sullivan to the show. Dan Sullivan is the co-founder and president of Strategic Coach. He is a visionary innovator and gifted conceptual thinker with over 40 years experience as a highly regarded speaker, consultant, strategic planner, and coach to entrepreneurial individuals and groups. Dan is the author of over 30 publications and books, including his most recent one, Who Not How, which I'm excited to discuss with Dan today. Welcome to the show, Dan. James, uh, first of all, it's a real treat to be with you, and I I appreciate you introducing me to your audience. Well, I'm excited because I've learned a, a tremendous amount from you over the past four years being in Strategic Coach and really excited to transfer some of the knowledge and thinking. I think probably one of the most helpful concepts uh, that you've recently written in this book, Who Not How, but before we get there... I just want to hear from you as we look ahead to the future. What are you most energized and excited about right now, whether that be personally or professionally? Well, I think uh, what got me into coaching in 1974 was my growing awareness that the microchip was, uh, um, you know, equal to the printing press as a historical shift. And, uh, you know, I, read a lot of articles that said, uh, you know, if you're a really smart entrepreneur, the capabilities that you're going to get technologically are going to be really, uh, they're going to be really exponential for you. And uh, I've always been a good coach, um, James. I mean, when I look at different things I did in my life, that they tended, regardless of what the activity was, that I would become a good guide to other people. And I, I, I have a tremendous passion for kind of finding out what someone's unique at and then uh, kind of getting them to simplify their life so they just focus on, one, where they're really great, and secondly, where their greatest enjoyment comes from. So uh, that's my background, and I've been at it. Uh, it's going on 50 years, and, and you know, and uh, in a few years, I'll be 50 years into it. But one of the things I noticed along the line, I got very interested in technology. I have a lot of clients who are involved in, you know, advanced technology in different sectors. And your sector, the banking industry, I mean, fintech is just amazing. Some of the, absolutely, you know, the cross-border, you know, around the world type capabilities that are being developed. What's always lagged is the human teamwork around exponential technology. And I said, you know, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to create a 
exponential teamwork concept. Okay. And, you know, and this was just something that played in the back of my mind, you know, for a couple of decades. And then um, it was actually Dean Jackson, who's a wonderful, marvelous. Yes, he uh, is. Internet marketing guru, you know, uh, and uh, we have a podcast together. And I had introduced to him a notion that uh, procrastination which is seen as a very bad thing. It's a source of guilt for a lot of people. It's a shameful secret to procrastinate. I'd come to an understanding in myself that it was actually wisdom on my part that makes me procrastinate. And that is, I'm a, I'm a big goal setter. You know, I, I see things in the future and I set goals. But I noticed that when I set the goal, when it came to time to take action, I wouldn't take the action. And a lot of people consider this a failing, a fault, something to be guilty with. And I said, what if it's wisdom? What what if the procrastination is telling me that it's a great goal, but I'm not the one to do it? And that instead of asking myself, how am I going to get there? I should ask, who's going to help me get there or who's actually going to achieve it for me? And it was like, you know, it was like a lightning strike. And all of a sudden, uh, first of all, all the work I'd done in Strategic Coach going back to the 1970s, all of a sudden it just sifted into place. Everything you're doing is to get entrepreneurs to be the visionary, to, you know, lay out the future for other people and then put together teams of people who are who's and they have much better skills than the entrepreneur to achieve it. And uh, Peter Diamandis, who is a advanced scout in almost every area of technology on the planet, we have a podcast series uh, called Exponential Wisdom. And I just dropped this idea on in uh, the next podcast. We said, and he said, oh, my God. He said, oh, that, oh who, not how? That's that's amazing. Well, they're Dean, they're Dean Jackson's words. And I said, Dean, it's just which of us can get to the intellectual property lawyer first here. <laughs> well, when and, I hear- and, De- and Dean was great with it. I mean, it wasn't something that he was going to do anything with. And he said, well, run with it, you know. And so, uh, you know, immediately went into the strategic coach program. I immediately created a small book just for coach clients. And then I met uh, Ben Hardy and Tucker Max. And uh, I said, I I think this is a major market book, but I'm not a person who can write and package and market a a major market book. And Ben and Tucker said, well, we'll do that for you. And they found Hay House, the publisher, and negotiated the contracts. And uh, because of our fast start with this one, we now have a a 10-year, 10-book contract and I'm not going to do any of the writing. Ben, Ben's going to do it all. And so something, you know, I dreamed about, you know, I'd have major market books, but I was just, uh, you know, I mean, James, you know, there's things you can dream all you want, but you're never going to be the person that does it. When I hear you unpack all of that, that wisdom and insight, you mentioned fintech. And when I think about the banking space historically up to this point, it's been built around the physical world of brick and mortar sales. And then also from a marketing, from traditional broadcast marketing. And COVID has been a forcing function to move us into this digital space in financial services. But a lot of financial brand leaders, whether it's the leadership team, the marketing team, the sales team, they're asking the question, 
how are we going to do this? And when you think about like asking how, why is that a limiting question that could lead to some very dangerous places? Well, I think it's basically the because your thinking doesn't go any further than your previous experience, James. You know, you've done this, you've done this, but the reason why you're stopped from achieving the higher goal is that you've created a higher uh, need for capability than your experience has. You don't have them around you. They're not your experiences. And a lot of people give up on goals simply because they get that procrastination feeling. And I said, pay attention to your procrastination. It's your wisdom saying it's a great goal, but now start spreading out and creating networks of foods. So the way that I see this uh, moving forward as a vision of the future is that you have this chicken and egg kind of relationship between exponential technology. I mean, Zoom's a really good, uh, a full dose over the last 10 months of what uh, exponential technology can do. But then you have to have exponential teamwork and you you can't have people doing the house they're no good at if you're interacting with exponential technology. Every person has to be in their unique ability. That's one of a fundamental concept in strategic coach. I just want a network where everybody's just doing the thing that they're great at, they're confident at, and uh, their unique ability interacts with other people. So you have networks of people who basically take advantage of what's essentially network technology. It's interesting you mentioned this idea of unique ability and focusing on the few things that you're the best at. Because when I think about what banks are doing with digital, they're adding more things to the pot, more checklists, more to-do items, but that's adding more complexity. So can you unpack this idea of unique ability and unique ability teamwork? Because I think what it boils down to is getting really clear about a few things, right? Yeah, and it's a historical, uh, you know, the problem that we're experiencing today is something that was historically very valuable. So I was born uh, in 1944, so uh, two weeks before the Normandy invasion, and um, everybody was trained to be a great how in those days. You know, the economy was a factory economy. It was either blue-collar factory or it was white-collar uh uh, you know, had offices that were very, very large. And, you know, all the institutions of society tended to be pyramidical. And I remember uh, I grew up in uh, northern Ohio, which is, uh, uh, you know, was big auto country. It was the, the big three. And then you had the big steel factories. You know, it was really, you know, it was really very, very industrialized. And I remember uh, once just reading that the from the CEO level of General Motors to the factory floor it was 18 management levels. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, and a little later when I became a coach, I said, you know, these big pyramids, these big corporate bureaucratic pyramids, they're just really crummy 
microchips. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's really bad microchips because uh, the CEO tries to send a message down and it's, the messages are always going down and they get distorted through each level of management. So usually by the time they get down 10 levels, they mean just the opposite of what was intended. I said, the reason why we created microchips is to get rid of these really crappy pyramidical. <laughs> but you know, that that was personified in the movie Ford versus Ferrari. Oh, yeah. Remember, great scene. Yeah. he was sitting in the office and it took five people to deliver the letter to pass Mr. it around. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and Carol Shelby's sitting there and he's, he's, he's watching. He's like, I've seen this letter touch five hands. Let's talk about all of the inefficiencies there. So when we think about this idea of inefficiency, you mentioned fintech before. Yeah. And traditionally speaking in the banking space, particularly from the, the lens of incumbents, those that have built their, their world in, in, in the physical, I think we've looked at fintech incorrectly as a competitor. And when you think about the concept of who, not how, you can't look at things from a competitor. You have to start looking at things from a collaborative lens. Can you expand on that thought? Yeah, well, I'll give you an example. So one of the chapters in uh, Who, Not How is on a 20-year coach client named uh, Paul Heiss. And Paul is a manufacturer out of Milwaukee who about 15 years ago started up factories in Shanghai near Shanghai. And he had three factories. And what he does, he does component parts for really, really big product manufacturers like Caterpillar, Peterbilt, you know, global manufacturers. And uh, things were going along. He did really well. He said, actually, if you're an American and in China, the Chinese trust you more than they do other Chinese. So he, he did a great deal of business. And, uh, you know, he had good labor force and uh, but then the the tariff war started uh, about two years ago, and it took all his profits away. You know, I mean, he, you know, it was twenty five percent tariff, and your your profits are gone. So he said, I I really have to shift quickly. And he said, uh, you know, I'm, I I got to get to India because they have a lower they have a lower cost labor force, and uh, you know and. It, it's an English speaking business culture. And so a little bit, uh, you know, he, uh, he, he couldn't be choosy, but that was one. And he said, but I, I don't know how to do it. And so we have, as you know, one of the go-to uh, thinking tools in strategic coach is the impact filter. Yes, And that's how to lay out a project so that the person that you're telling just totally gets why you want it, why it's so important, the fact that you're totally sold on it and it gives you the measurements that this is what the project looks like when it's finished. And he sent one to the high trade commissioner from India in Shanghai. And he said, uh, I want to build a factory in China. And he sent it. He didn't even talk to him in person. He just uh, sent it to him by fax and or fax or, you know, send it as a PDF and the high commissioner says, I know exactly who you need to talk to. Put through a phone call to that person. And that first interchange between Paul Heiss and the trade commissioner was duplicated six times in about a two-week period. Wow. And three months later, he had his factory. And in the first uh, six months, he was profitable with a brand new factory. And, you know, he's 60 years old. He's in the area of about 60 years old. And he said, I just made myself 20 again. 
He said, for the rest of my life, he said, for the rest of my life, I never do another how. Technology has transformed our world, and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now, consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to, because James Robert wrote the book that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands, and it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits now back to the show yeah i want to come back to that point because 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 you 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 mentioned you're born in 1944 but then you also mentioned something here that i thought was fascinating you talked about the tool the impact filter and really when we think about who not how and collaboration like for example what it might be with a competitor because we actually put this in the book people can actually see the impact filter and what it looks like in the book because collaboration really yields to a world of abundance and there's enough to go around for everyone, but it comes down to this idea of the impact filter, getting real clear, gaining clarity, but then also communicating clarity. That requires us to do something. It requires us to stop, to pause, to think, and escape the doing that so many of us are addicted to because I I look at the world I call these the four digital growth operating environments. You can be learning, you can be thinking, you can be doing, or you can be reviewing, but you can only be in one place at one time. How can we escape? How can we create that space and time to stop doing and to really use your words to create space and time to think about your thinking? Yeah, well, I think the, uh, first of all, I have a very narrow focus and that is uh, that uh, the only people who are in strategic coach in the program are successful, talented, ambitious entrepreneurs. And, mm. you know, we have very, very high income requirements, personal income requirements before someone can come in. And so I'm, I'm just dealing with one kind of human being. And that's been true for, well, the program's been 31 years. And before that, I did, uh, you know, 15 years of one-on-one coaching. But all the time, I'm just looking at this one type of human being. And I think there's a lesson in that. And that is don't try to be everything to everybody. Just pick your type of person that you're going to be a hero to. So my goal, you know, for um, the, the entrepreneurs that I coach personally, and then we have 16 other coaches, I said, we're, we want to be heroes to these people. We want to, you know, we want them to, uh, as a result of coach, we want them to bring in their complexity and leave with simplicity, okay? We, we want them to uh, be proud of what they accomplished during the last 90 days so that their confidence from the last 90 days gives them a greater sense of commitment and courage for the next 90 days and just repeat that. So, James, uh, during 
2021, I have 32 entrepreneurs who are back for their 30th year. I've seen them. I've seen them every quarter for 120 quarters, and every quarter they take a job. It's like going through the locks of a canal. You know, every quarter the water raises up, and they go into the next lock. And you know that I would say, with the vast majority of these individuals, if they hadn't been in coach, they'd be retired. I'm glad you brought that up because this was the point that I had wanted to come back to. You mentioned being born in 1944. And if there's one thing that I've learned from you, it's always make your future bigger bigger than your past. And when I think about the leadership in the banking world right now, they're letting opportunity pass them by because they look at, oh, I only have three more years or, oh, I only have five more years, but that's that's deadly. How can you apply that thinking to make your future always bigger than, than your past? Well, it's easier if you're an entrepreneur because uh, you're the person who does the hiring and firing, so just don't fire yourself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and people, uh, you know, it's really weird. Entrepreneurs separate themselves from the normal way of making a living early in their career. But when it gets close to what they think should be the end of their career, they start joining golf clubs with people who worked in corporations all their life. You know, the, right. and, and I, I happen to feel that retirement is a deadly thought that the moment you start thinking about retire, uh, your body takes notice and it starts uh, sending the parts back to the factory. You know, <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I mean uh, I, uh, people, uh, anyone who's ever been in my workshop, you bring up the R word and I'm, I'm going to, it'll be the last you'll be so embarrassed in the next five minutes you'll never mention that again death uh, death death is the exit then we keep you're giving death assistance don't don't give death assistance you know and uh, but i think i think you're on to something with this particularly as we're moving into a whole new world of of opportunity we're going to be living longer we're going to be working longer and that creates opportunities in the banking space too because you know people are going to be banking longer and we're going to have to transform the way we think about money so i know you mentioned peter diamandis earlier and great great book out by him the future is faster than you think what are some of those things that we should just be thinking about that are going to be changing at the macro level that as as leaders we just need to be aware of well, interestingly enough, I'm a political junkie, so uh, my mom got me hooked on politics in 1952 for Eisenhower. Eisenhower was first president, and I followed every election in the States, and I'm an American. I live in Canada, but uh, I'm red, white, and blue. You know, I'm, a, I'm, a, you know, I'm, an, I'm an American, and uh, so a big era of... Uh, history, the second half of the 20th century, began with the end of the Second World War, and it really, really ended with the collapse of the Soviet Union. And the U.S. was kind of the guarantor of a lot of things uh, in military security. But the biggest thing was they kept open all the uh, trade routes with Mm -hmm. the U.S. U.S. Navy is the greatest military force in the history of the world. Still, I mean, still is. I mean, it's um, one carrier group that the Americans have, you know, a super carrier with maybe 10 other boats is equal to most people's military. But the only reason why the U.S. was 
you know, financing the rest of the world. The only reason why they were protecting the rest of the world was because the Soviets were, um, you know, promoting a different system. And uh, so what the U.S. did is they created a wealth curtain around the Soviet Union. Soviets created an iron curtain, but the U.S. created a wealth curtain. And then in 91, the Soviet Union, without anybody's permission, quit, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And, uh, but everybody else who had been receiving the benefit of American uh, support, assistance, and they were kind of like the adult supervisor for the world, they said, don't tell the Americans that it's over. You know? <laughs> so here we are, you know, 1991, we're 19, you know, we're ni- 19 years down the road. And, you know, and it's not just one president, but I think starting with Clinton and then going to Bush and then Obama and Trump and now Bain, they can't pay the cost for this anymore. Americans won't put up. And we've neglected, uh, we've neglected a lot of, you know, the infrastructure of America. And I think what's going to happen is there's this huge pullback and America is going to be a place where everybody wants their money. You know, and this is what I'm seeing Talented people in the world want their children to grow up in America. I think every year they do a, a worldwide poll, and they say, if you could live someplace else, where where would it be? And they survey about uh, 200, 300 million people, and uh, 200 million of them, if they had a chance, they'd move to the U.S. with all the negativity that's in mainstream media, uh, nothing like a green card. I'll tell you, nothing like an American green card. And so... On the one hand, borders are going up, okay? So COVID is a good example. I'm an American citizen. I live in Toronto. If I go across the border into the United States and I come back, I individually quarantine for 14 days. That's a border. That's a border. And you're going to see border, you know, all the European Union countries. There's going to be borders. So physical borders are going back up, but fintech jumps over the borders. So what you have is a bordering of the entire physical world, but in the digital world, you can cross over those barriers. The only question is, do you have the mindset? Do you have the goals? Do you have the vision? Do you have the willingness to be great at teamwork with other people who may live eight time, time zones away and you're communicating them every day the way that James, the way we, the two of us are communicating. So that's, the, that's what I see. It's this, you know, the whole notion of, you know, globalization, it'll, it will only happen in the digital world. It will not happen in the physical world. And that right there I see in the banking space is really the most transformative and the biggest opportunity to stop looking at fintech as the competition because fintech has its own challenges in regards to gaining eyeballs. They need eyeballs. Traditional incumbent banks have the eyeballs, but they lack the capability. So that's a capability upgrade in and of itself to, to work with the fintech and everyone wins. But it all comes down to really getting real clear of what value we're looking to create for who to, to use your word. Who do we want to be a hero to besides getting the book? And, and this has been such a great conversation today, getting a book on, on Amazon. What is one recommendation that you could could recommend to bankers going forward to apply the thinking of who, not how? Yeah, I mean, there's a very simple exercise. James, we do. We just you have a sheet of paper. It has a little circle in the middle and a, uh, an outer circle. 
Okay. And in the little circle, take a metric that's really important to you, you know, revenues, uh, you know, EBITDA, whatever your metric is, and put it in the center and put your present highest, um, highest score for that, you know, and historically you're at this score. And then the outer circle represents 10 times that. Okay. And if you're a banker, say, okay, we're going to go 10 times. And then uh, between the two circles are five boxes and say, but you can't do the hows. You have to you have to get five who's who help you go ten times. Okay. So if you're a mainland banker and, and you know you're a bricks and mortar banker, even though you're doing a lot of digital work, you're still you know geographically located. Probably two or three of those who's are going to be fintech collaborators. That's exactly right, Dan. This has been such an amazing conversation. If anyone wants to to follow up, just to say hello, connect with you, what's the best way for them to to do that in this borderless digital world that we're all living in? Yeah, well, strategiccoach.com, you know, and, uh, you know, we're just passionate about uh, that part of the global future to which entrepreneurs are going to be the creators and the collaborators. And, uh, you know, I, I, I've been at it for 47 years, and I just put together my game plan for 2044 when I'm 100 years old. And uh, our network of collaborating entrepreneurs and strategic coach, our impact that year, our, uh, our economic impact that year is going to be $15 trillion. It's amazing. It's amazing. Absolutely. <laughs> a lot amazing. of them are going to be fintech entrepreneurs. You know, a lot of them are, a lot of my entrepreneurs are going to be fintech entrepreneurs. Definitely. Definitely. Dan, thanks so much for joining me on another episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been wonderful. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a real gift. Thank you, James. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and wash your hands. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.